Welcome to the Aging Project Off Season. I'm Shelley Craft, your host and fellow ager on the same journey as you. I believe it's important to mix things up in life, and that belief extends to this podcast. So, in our very first off season, expect to hear stories from wonderful people who've caught our attention. We want to share real stories that inspire us and get us thinking about our own aging well journey. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Aging Project community. We're thrilled you have joined us once again. Today's guest isn't a celebrity or an influencer. She's a mum living in Brisbane. She has two children, Harry and Mia, and her name is Tara Castle. From the outside looking in, Tara is a woman who has always embraced life and living. Her Facebook page represents that. Her Instagram is full of beautiful shots about just living life, a happy life jam-packed with all the right ingredients. So what happens one day out of nowhere when you lose your life partner and what happens to life when it heads in that tailspin? As you know it, it would change for you and your kids and everyone around you. It's up to you when you are feeling that grief and that sadness, how do you put one foot in front of the other and find a way to live again and to go on? So to talk us through this today, we are joined by the beautiful Tara Castle. Tara, welcome to The Ageing Project. Thank you, Shelley. So let's start at the very beginning. Tara, where did you and Joe first meet and how did your story come about? Yeah, I was um, living in London, uh, as lots of young Australians do. Um, I did a couple of years in London. We were in a pub in Maida Vale and we met and yeah instantly drawn to each other and um, started off as mates. I was actually dating someone else, he was dating someone else at the same time so um, yeah we were good mates for probably over a year and then um, we went um, with a whole bunch of friends to, on a month-long trip to Turkey and yeah we, we got together and I don't know, I thought we we both sort of half thought it was a holiday fling, but, um, yeah, it ended up being um, the love of my life. So, yeah, it was um, a beautiful landscape and backdrop and, um, you know, the fun and adventure of living uh, overseas and travel and the excitement of that. So, yeah, we came home in 2003 and got married, um, got married in New Farm Park in the little, beautiful little rotunda there in New Farm Park amongst the jacarandas, the November jacarandas. And, um, yeah, we just had a, a beautiful a beautiful partnership, friendship, marriage. He was my best friend. He was my confidant. He was my adventure buddy. He was my everything. And two beautiful kids came along. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I have Harry, who's now 16, and I have Mia, who's now 14. So, yeah, they... Um, they're pretty amazing kids considering what they've been through. So, um, yeah, I'm very, very lucky to have them by my side and um, and to be the sunshine of my day almost every single day. So, yeah. You married Joe in Newfound Park in Brisbane, as you said. You also said goodbye to Joe there. Are you able to share that story with us? Yeah, like it's, um, it's so cruel the way things are that the person who's the most devastated by such a significant loss then has to be in a very, very, very short time frame responsible for trying to consider what a funeral looks like or what saying goodbye looks like. Um, I was, I was, and I'm sure many people in Joe's, who knew Joe and who loved Joe, we were all so blindsided by his sudden unexpected death that, you know, you don't have a, a funeral plan. I don't even really recall talking a lot to Joe about what death looked like for him or for me. And so to be reeling with his very, very sudden death and then within a two-week time frame, you know, letting people know, 
you know, what clothes you dress him in for a cremation or whether he be, is cremated or not or what, what, what does the after look like? And for me to be the most devastated and responsible for trying to make those very, very important, significant decisions, um, of course I had a huge, overwhelming, amazing tsunami of love that came came at me from many directions, um, some expected, some completely unexpected. So, for example, my friend who was working as a wedding planner at the time decided overnight that she could apply her wedding planning skills to plan her first funeral ever. So she came in and helped me with that. And it just felt like um, Joe and I, not especially religious, spiritual, but not religious. So, um, and I knew that probably New Farm Park would always be a very special place for me um, and for the kids. So, um yeah the so it it would become a bittersweet place for me anyway so why not to have it there and um since joe died i've taken a little bit of him with me and probably put him in i don't know more than 20 20 places um around the world particularly a lot of um beaches and a lot of places with beautiful vistas um, so whilst New Farm Park is where the, the service was, Joe travels with me every time and has incredible places that he is, you know. Um, we had a, a holiday planned for Italy um, for four months after he died. So, um, of course, I took him to Italy with me. Um, you know, he's enjoyed many a sunset at Noosa and he travelled to Kakadu and we went on another family adventure to Hawaii and to Whistler and he came he comes with us to all of those places so whilst yes New Farm Park is sort of the place that's easy for me living in Brisbane to go and visit and to be um, it brings me great joy to know that he is all over the world with us and continues to travel with us and um, I think one of his mates actually put him um, at at a beach that, you know, has a nice nice view of some scantily clad backpackers to, for him to look at for <laughs> the rest of eternity. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think I've, you know, other friends have taken a part of Joe and put them put him somewhere that's meaningful to them so they they in their own grief journey because I acknowledge it's not just about me um there's many people whose hearts were broken when Joe died and so so for them to go back to those places and for them to remember the amazing human he was is important for them too and that brings my heart you know a bit of joy I guess as well that must be lovely for the kids too. Obviously, they're older now. Um, he passed, what, four years ago now. And you're always talking about him anyway. But when you're planning a new adventure or a holiday or even, a you know, a trip to the Goldie, you know, it's like, right, Dad coming with us today? You know, <laughs> what are we going to show him today? Uh, that must be a lovely way for you all to connect and, and to talk about him um, in a beautiful sort of more lighthearted and, and forward-moving way rather than always just the memories of being together as a family. Yeah, and I think, you know, in the early days it was so hard and it was so significant to leave some of his ashes somewhere, but because we've done it so much, it's almost the kids don't even, you know, it's not it's not a big take-a-breath-away moment. I, I, of course it is mm -hmm. probably still and always will be for me, but the kids kind of go, oh, yeah, let's go for a swim with Dad, you know, and a little bit of sprinkles and, um, you know, and off we go. And it's 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 just something that we do and I think that's been just nice to know he's with us and he's permanently in these beautiful, beautiful places and vistas around the world um, forever after. So, If this was in your mid-40s, um, I sort of sometimes feel like, if we make it through our 20s, um, 
you know, we've got a long life ahead of us. You know, we've we've survived all the crazy things that we did as kids. You know, if if our friends have made it through without a terrible accident, um, you sort of count yourself so lucky, and you think, all right, we're on the, you know, these, these are the easy times. Um, possibly in in this age group, we're going to suffer the loss of of a parent. Um, I think it's always the hardest when it is someone your own age or or terribly so, um, you lose children in, in our age group. Um, Joe's passing was very sudden. It wasn't an accident as such. It was just an illness that, that came over him. Um, no real time to prepare. I mean, it must feel like an accident rather than a long, drawn-out illness as such. Yeah, it's... Um, I, I, I think I had just it's such an incredibly blessed life before Joe died, I had really zero experience of grief and of death. Uh, sure, I'd lost some grandparents in their 90s, you know, um, but I'd never lost anyone close to me, not a friend, not a brother, not a sister, not a parent. Um, so I was completely blissfully <laughs> unaware of what how heartbreaking and what how grief really does take over your life in many ways. Um, and I have considered the, you know, is a sudden death easier or is a long drawn out death easier? And I don't, I don't think any of it is easy. I think they all are, are terrible and heartbreaking and I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but with Joe, he, he was only 46. Uh, he was healthy, you know. He, he was a normal, active dad with two small kids. The kids were 9 and 11. You know, we'd go to the beach. He would surf. You know, we'd play tennis. We would walk. We would go snowboarding. We would do lots of things active Um and, you know, it was um, even when he presented to hospital, um, we, you know, it was, my, it was our son's birthday that weekend and we just couldn't believe that he was even going to hospital, um, let alone fast forward 48 hours be dead. So we were, we, we had plants you know there was there was you know and being even just just being in hospital was not part of the plan let alone being dead being part of the plan so not that anyone plans for that but it just was um almost like a traffic accident in in its in how sudden it was there are those times we, we hear um I guess no one ever really knows what to say to someone who has lost um, a loved one. Are there things that you wish people knew um, that are the wrong things to say to someone that are the right things? Is there times when we should all just be quiet and sit with somebody who is going through immense grief? Like how do you educate people on the best ways to behave around someone who is is suffering so badly when you put it so beautifully and said it wasn't just your loss there's everybody lost joe but yours without doubt is, is the deepest um yeah are there lessons for us in how to be with people who are going through what you went through and what you're going through yeah and i do have a lot of i do have a lot of thoughts on that but i i i don't even feel like i'm wise enough yet to be out the other side to even to be that person with all this advice on how to deal with grief or what to say or what not to say I think it's really important to point out that there's everyone's journey is different and how how different people respond could be wildly different and my experience of grief might not be the next person's experience of grief but to talk about my own experience, um, probably the most awful thing that anyone ever said to me was um, about three months after Joe had died and 
this person said to me, when's Happy Tara coming back? And um, just the insensitivity <laughs> for, for mm. someone to say it to me then at the three-month mark, or even if they said that to me today, you know, it's just an awful thing to say. And I said it to the, to this person at the time is she's dead. She's not coming back. That version of, of Tara who, who was alive then, she, she's no longer, she's forever changed. I was probably a lot more cutting and probably turned on a heel quite quickly after that. But I have reflected on that. And I think it's the version of myself from pre pre Joe being dead to post Joe being dead. It, I'm a different person, and I am forever changed. I'm an, I'm not ever going to be that person again. And um, yeah, I, I do reflect on her. She's um, you know just it, I would love to go back and take that dark cloud of grief and heartbreak and complicated and how did what does life look like next and be that person again I, you know if it was that easy I'm sure I've just I would have just done it by now um, I think people people with advice on you know um, you know I've had the when are you just gonna get over it um, I'm probably never going to get over it, actually. Um, I'll probably take this to my own death of being sad about the life that I don't get to have with Joe or the dad that my children don't get to have, the driving lessons that they don't get to have, the walking down the aisle that they don't get to have. I'll always be sad about that. So to think that I'm going to get over it or, um, you know, that grief is something to get done. You know, it's something to, to get through. And I think I'm only four years into my journey and I'm sure there's lots of other wiser people than me and I can only really speak for myself. But um, there was a, a graphic I saw recently online and it talks about the five stages of grief and how they're nicely colour-coded in nice little five boxes that step through grief. Um, but actually it's a it's one big hot chaotic mess. It's um and I think the graphic showed a squiggly line of it going absolutely in every direction and no start point and no end point. And I think that's important is I think people think that there's a start point and there's an end point to grief. And from my experience, there's not. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm wise enough yet to have that much advice. But I think as a friend, I don't think that you should come at it with you should do this or you should do that or it's not as your grief is, is not as bad as this or at least at least you had him for these years or at least you knew love. Um, and lots of those things can be true and I have reflected and I have tried to reframe those things in my own mind. I, um, I, of course, I'm grateful. I had, you know, 18 amazing years with an incredible human and um, I feel grateful that I experienced deep great amazing love so this and I'm glad I've got these two gorgeous children like I've, I've got a lot to be grateful for but it doesn't say that some days are really hard I don't think advice necessarily is overly helpful unless you're a trained counselor or professional I think if you're her, if you're the friend or if you're the sister or you're the you're just just being is helpful. I've got one girlfriend who still cooks me meals. <laughs> she sends me over a spaghetti bolognese um, um, and I, I, it's just her love and it's just being constant. You know, I think there's a lot of people that think, oh, gosh, it's four years, get over it, you know, we're done with this. And because I've only had four, four wedding anniversaries to get through since Joe died. I've only had four of his birthdays to get through. So, you know, one some years I lean right into it 
and see how that goes for me. And other years I try and actively avoid it or, you know, on Father's Day, not focus on Joe being the dad, focus on my own dad or focus on my brother being a dad or focusing on my beautiful male friends who act, who step in and step up to being a positive male role model in my kids' lives and focus on, the, on that. Um, so I'm sort of still in a very much a, a trial and error phase. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I have huge amount of advice, but I think for a friend looking to support someone who's gone through this, I think practical is good. Uh, you know, I had another girlfriend who... She walked my dog for me for six weeks after Joe died and I didn't even see her and she didn't do it for the thanks. She didn't do that for access to me. She just saw something small, practical, helpful, and she just turned up at my house every day for six weeks and walked my dog. You know, it was just a a beautiful thing that she did, you know, not looking for acknowledgement, not looking for anything other than what can I do, you know, and I think probably taking taking a practical job off the person's list is really helpful. Um, Probably the other thing is um, I do remember in the early days a few people did offer me help and I was always very reluctant to accept help, but there was two people that I recall I reluctantly accepted their help and then they sort of said, oh, actually, no, it doesn't suit me. I can't do that. And I just think, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with you? Why would you offer someone like me in my situation your help and then withdraw it and retract it? So if I guess probably the my point there is don't offer unless you're actually prepared to do it. So um, because I did find that quite devastating. Probably the other part would be, Everyone is always a bit scared and I get I get that, that people are scared on what to say. But I think um, one safe space, and again, this could be different for different people in their own grief journey, is I don't mind for people to talk to, talk to me about Joe. In fact, it warms my heart and I'll probably cry. And people don't like, people don't like crying and that's, um, but I'm so used to crying now. I'm, I don't. I almost don't even see it as a negative emotion anymore. It's just part of my being, and I'm so used to it. And it's only when other people get upset upset that I'm crying that you realise that other it's other people don't, that don't cope with that. So um, yeah, for me, I I don't mind to talk about Joe, and in fact, it makes me laugh for someone to sort of say, "Oh, I remember when he did this crazy thing," or. I heard this song on the radio and it made me think of Joe. Um, I, I love all of that and um, and I will I'll cry and that's okay. It's it's not a bad thing. You know, it means that we all felt deep emotion and you know, deep love and deep grief. They kind of go hand in hand. I think as a culture, we're not very good at dealing with this at all. Um, as you say, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to act. Uh, people try to be strong for you, try to bring a laugh. There are so many cultures around the world, I think, who deal with death so much better than we do. It is. You've got, obviously, an amazing family. Um, I know you've written a lot about your dad and the support that he has given you, not just during this time but obviously all the way through your life, uh, to have that wonderful role model and and support in your life it must be quite extraordinary yeah I'm very lucky um my dad is a dad is a huge support as is my mom and they um because I have to make my life a little bit more complicated is I have Harry is an Australian athlete and the training and the time and the commitment that goes alongside an athlete at that level can be quite um, challenging trying to be in multiple places at the same time. So I'm very lucky that I've got that through my dad and also friends. I've got incredible friendship group. I've got amazing male role models and female role models for both kids. Um, so I think, I think that's absolutely a single, singly the thing that has gotten me through is um, 
so much kindness um, and support even now down the track as I am in four years down the track. Just a quick YMTI break in today's show. Ladies, have you visited youmusttryit.com yet? If not, why not? <laughs> we have designed this store for us. We've done the research to support your aging well journey from Lotox makeup, skincare, perfume, supplements, and much, much more. Oh, and we have some lovely gift packs ready to go too for you and your loved ones just in time for Christmas. After listening to today's episode, go and check us out, youmusttryit.com. All right, now it's back to the show. Tara, was that something that you were always interested in or is it since Joe passed that philanthropy has become something of a passion for you? I have always been in the sector anyway and um, I've worked in the sector for over 20 years sort of on the corporate philanthropy side, uh, on the charity side. I've done quite a few what I describe as crazy charity projects over the years. Um, for example, I run an annual charity lunch called Glamoured Up for Charity and it's 16 years old because I started doing it when I was on maternity leave with Harrison and I was just a little bit, um, I don't know if bored is the right word, but I, I needed something more than three-hour feeds and changing nappies to stimulate my my heart and mind. So I started that. I also did um, a cookbook back then. It was called The One-Armed Cookbook with my childhood friends, Sal and Victoria, and it raised $130,000 for the RBWH um, Premier Baby Ward. Um, so I've always done lots of different things. Right now I'm in the middle of a Christmas kindness project where I collect gifts for women and children experiencing homelessness and domestic violence. Um, via Women's Legal Service and Lady Musgrave Trust. And that's a project I've done since the kids were little. Um, I just haven't I haven't felt strong enough to do it since Joe died. So this year is the first year since Joe died that I'm doing it again. So Joe used to just laugh that, um, you know, at any one time, one of our rooms would be full of a collection of something you know, whether it be a collection for the fires, um, presents for children. Um, I did teddy bears for orphans overseas one year and I did um, pyjamas for the Pyjama Foundation, helping foster kids another year. So it's not, none of this is since Joe died. Um, but I did always used to say, Joe always used to say to me, um, you should be a CEO of a charity and um, because you coach you coach CEOs all the time and you would be amazing. And I guess from a commitment of parenting, I just always thought that we, we both couldn't have two full jobs. Like one of us should always sort of be more available to, keep, to the kids. And so I took that role. I took that, um, you know, the more flexible mother role with the kids. And um, I just, when Joe died, I just couldn't work from home anymore. I had worked from home as a consultant for the, the previous decade and I just craved um, being in, a, in, a, in an office and I craved being in a workplace and I needed a, a clearer line between work and home. It became really too much for me to be working solo and my beautiful employer, um, Tanya um, tried really hard to make it easier on me to continue working for her. But in the end, I um, was approached by Queensland Community Foundation to take a role with them. And it was a really good decision for me. However, fast forward, not that long, we all had to go and work from home anyway, because of the pandemic. So I, <laughs> I didn't get my office environment that I craved for long. But it's been, I've been there almost almost four years now and um, it's an absolute beautiful distraction from my sadness to focus on all of the good of the world and there's a lot of good in the world. There's a huge number of incredible Queensland change makers and my job is to try and just lift them up. So it's, um, yeah, I joke about it all the time that it's the best job in the world and it's not just one cause, it's... Um, it's loads of different causes. It's environment, it's animals, it's medical research, it's homelessness, it's domestic violence, it's everything 
in between. So it's um yeah, it's good fun and I'm I'm very lucky to be in that role. It sounds like incredibly rewarding work for you as well not just not just a distraction you're obviously born for this job I did hear you held a fundraiser for um the nurses or, or the ward that took care of Joe for that 48 hours that he was in hospital um, that's an incredible feat as well yeah well because I had already had planned what I call glamoured up for charity it was already due to happen when he died and funnily enough, the charity that I'd selected that year hadn't ever gotten back to me. So when Joe died, I chatted to the kids. And of course, I didn't want to do it particularly. Of course, I didn't have the energy. Um, but Mia, who was my then nine-year-old, begged me to do it and said that she'd help me. <laughs> And then all she asked was for me to keep it going until she's old enough for her to take it over from me. <laughs> so um, so that year I did do it for the Prince Charles Hospital and um, we raised over $50,000 and part of the money went to uh, the research side of the hospital trying to figure out how to save the life of someone else in this situation and the other half went to the ICU of them spending it however they needed on equipment or staff or whatever just to be able to continue the incredible work because whilst it was my worst day of my life, these incredible doctors and nurses, this is their every day, which I just, um, how these incredible humans front to these catastrophic situations day in, day out, um, is just I just I just cannot imagine so we do on the anniversary of Joe's death we also send we do a big we do a lot of baking and we send both to the Wesley Hospital which is where Joe started and um to the Prince Charles Hospital where he died they are extraordinary humans as you say it's it's there every day um and for them still to find that compassion um for families who are there when they're seeing it day in and day out. Those staff are incredible, incredible humans. Um, can you tell us what happened to Joe at 46 years old? Um, as you say, you were planning Harry's 12th birthday party and he just started to feel unwell. Was it really as simple as that? Um, well, he was quite fit and quite healthy and, but, you know, every winter in sort of the flu season, like I, I almost never get sick every season, but, it, you know, I'd call it man flu and he would call it, he would joke and liken it to being having Ebola because, of course, it was, you know, he was nearly dead. He'd been overseas for work. He was feeling unwell. We went to the GP. He had some blood tests. We went back to the GP. You know, I was wondering whether I should escalate it. He was... Not well, but, you know, in reflection, it didn't seem like he was dying. We went to the GP for the blood results on the Wednesday morning. The GP said, you should go to hospital, your heart's in distress. Fast forward, not even 48 hours later, he was dead. And he sustained two cardiac arrests overnight. And he had a virus that had... Um, just systematically shut down all of his organs um, and, yeah, he had no chance really um, from what I can see. Um, I think initially I tried not to be bedside because I was trying desperately just to allow the doctors to save his life and for them to have full access but they didn't even really know what to do and having sat bedside and with doctors calling their colleagues around the world just trying to figure out what was killing him. It was um, such a surprise that even on the morning that he actually died, um, I'd only seen him the night before at 11pm and chatted to him about the weekend. It was uncomfortable and he hadn't been sleeping, but they were probably our only two concerns. I said goodnight he said, I love you. I said, I'd be back in the morning with the kids. And it was the last day of school for the kids. 
Um, I missed a call from the hospital overnight. I'd only been there six hours. We fronted to the hospital. I was met at the door. The kids were in their school uniform. We had the school bags ready to go because we were just dropping in to say hi on the way to school. Kids were quite excited. And then we were met by a lady in tears, well, fighting, fighting her own tears at the front door. And I'd been to that hospital many times through for other reasons and I'd never been met at the hospital door before. So I kind of, I instantly felt that something was gravely wrong and then we just went, we just walked into this, um, yeah, I can only describe as the worst day of my life of um, I never spoke to Joe again. He was never conscious again. Uh, he, he was fighting for his own life and everyone around him was fighting for his life. Um, they kept him alive on life support for another couple of days and then I think it was maybe it's a it yeah, I I was just a blur of days, but on maybe the second or third day, they'd said that they needed to shut his life support down, and that we as family, his brothers, his immediate family, needed to make that tough decision. Um, the only problem was it was going to be on Harrison's twelfth birthday. Um, which they didn't realise. Um, uh, so they did, They kept him alive another day, which was a gift in many ways that, a, a joke, Harry doesn't have to share his birthday forever after with the day he lost his dad, but it also got an opportunity because things had happened so quickly. It was an opportunity for people to come and say their goodbyes because I think everyone was in complete denial. Everyone just thought, no, this can't be happening. He's this big, tall, six-foot-two, strong, big-hearted man. He can't he can't be dying. So um, I, we were able to get a few of his friends through to say their final goodbyes and, um, yeah, so a complete shock. And I didn't they, – the doctors didn't even really quite know what had killed him even up until – two or three months after the fact. Um, it was just one of those really rare things that just happened and with no no explanation really. Tara, I know that they're, they're tough questions to answer, but there's something that I, I know you can offer to our audience. So how can we prepare for the unpreparable? What do we need to get in order um, so that if heaven forbid it, it happens to any of us at any time, the pain and the strain on our loved ones isn't so great in the, in the admin side of life, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm aiming at. Yeah, well, um, it's a pretty important life question and it's very, um, it's quite simple in lots of ways. It's, um, I'd say, first of all, start with will. Um, I think there's um, some alarming statistics on how many people don't have a will, um, young or old, you don't have to be, you know, at the end of parts of your life. You should be, you know, pretty much as soon as you start get your first job, you probably should start thinking about a will and what that means and then I guess up, keeping it up to date with every life change of marriages and houses and children and all of those things. So that would be number one. Number two, I think probably have that conversation with your loved one, as awful as it is. I think having a little bit of a chat about uh, what that what life looks for the other one if the other one's not there, I think. Um, and I, I don't think Joe and I did a great job of that. Uh, I think possibly, you know, think about life insurance, think about what your financial needs would be depending on if one or the other is not around. Um, the, the, what I call death admin is if you think life admin is awful, I cannot tell you how awful death admin is and it goes on and on and on. I had a terrible situation when Joe died uh, in that even though we had joint bank accounts, 
for whatever reason, the bank decided to shut every single bank account down and lock me out of both my bank, of all of my bank accounts, even the bank accounts that my own salary was going into, even though it was a joint bank account, uh, locked me out of everything. Um, they could see I could pay my mortgage, but they decided to keep sending me mortgage default letters throughout this time and didn't allow me to do anything about it. And then it was only because of Joe's employer specifically asked me where I would like his final pay to be made. And if they hadn't have done that, I actually could not have paid for his funeral. Uh, It was so awful. So I'd say my other tip would be to double check the bank accounts that your, your whole life revolves around, where your mortgage gets paid from, where your salary gets paid from, and make sure that they're in joint names and also that they're not just joint names, that you both have equal access to them mm-hmm. uh, because, um, I, you know, in reflection, and the bank has actually apologised to me over the way they treated me um, because it was horrific on top of everything else that was going on. It was absolutely horrific not knowing you know, that I could buy food or um, pay for his funeral or, you know, just even try and navigate life after his death. So I would I would definitely check that. Um, it took them 12 weeks for them to even make contact and acknowledge that he was dead, even though they shut me down almost instantly. Yeah. So um, I'd probably also say don't, don't have all of your banking with one bank. Um, mm. I'd say you know, have another bank account somewhere so that if something horrific like that does happen, you have access to, you know, just some funds to be able to buy food because my experience was absolutely horrific. It's almost the first thing, isn't it? Like you, your marriage certificate is one thing. Um, having children with someone is another. But I think having joint bank accounts is even more committal <laughs> sometimes yeah. than any of those things. And it's in a third party's hands. It's not just, you know, the the conversation between the two of you. That that does go to a third party. And as, um, I guess, as unromantic as it sounds to still have separate bank accounts when you are married, this sounds like a really vital life lesson. Yes. Um, I, I would have, yeah, I, I think there, there, there could have been a kinder, easier way for me not to be locked out of my banking for 12 weeks in the aftermath of Joe's death, to throw that on top of me, on top of everything that was already going on. Mm. That was a really um, brutal experience. So, But I do think um, the thing that was probably the the saving grace, which even, you know, I've talked to other people, but it was a very simple and uncomplicated will that I was the executor, the administrator and the sole beneficiary, and yet it was still very complicated and difficult. So um, I'm glad that there wasn't, you know, other layers of, you know, another family or an ex-wife or anything of those things because I think um, having a very clear will is very important. And, of course, none of us think this is going to happen to us. Of course we don't, Mm. but it's so important. And I think probably if the... If there's one action I would love for any of your listeners to do is have a look at your affairs, have a look at wills, talk about, you know, funerals, talk about graves, cremations, intentions, you know, all of those things and power of attorneys and um, all, of, all of those things. They're so important and, you know, in society we talked about it briefly before we don't talk about death in our culture and we really should because it makes it very difficult for the surviving person Mm. to try and navigate these really complicated, devastating things in their own heartbreak. Mm. So um, I I, I do encourage people to think about that. When I was preparing to chat to you and obviously talking to my husband who's now 46, the same age Joe was uh, when he passed, it's confronting. There is no question about it. But there's there is a, a relief in there as well that you may know where to start. 
or you you don't say I don't know what they wanted I have no concept of of what he wanted but now after speaking to you today and, and we traveled a lot um, when we were younger together before we had kids I love the idea that there might be a little piece everywhere of me one day <laughs> one day yeah. in in the places that I loved and I, and I hope my loved ones you know can have a, a tiny bit of a, a moment of reflection or joy or a laugh at a situation when that happened but if you never have that conversation how are they ever to know how are they ever to know they're important conversations to have and I I do think you have to have them now don't mm. wait don't wait Tara, again, I can't thank you for your openness um, and your ability to be able to share with us your experience and what you've been through. What is it that makes you get up in the morning now? What is it that gives you joy? I think if you look at my Instagram, and I think you referenced my Instagram earlier in the interview, uh, I, I do get up and I try and I seek the beauty in the day. I look for the sunsets. I look for the the flower, the bird call, the screeching cockatoo, the um, the laugh on a child's face. Um, it's my children are a big part of what get me moving. I um, there'd be there would have been plenty of days. Uh, even today, you know, even now there'd be there's plenty of days that you just wouldn't want to get out of bed and you just wouldn't want to face the day. But with children. Um, I remember when I was, it was probably, because uh, devastatingly Joe's death was neatly wrapped up in one school holidays. He, he, he died on the last day of term two and we had his death, a cremation, his funeral, all wrapped up in a two-week school holiday period and then day one term three rolled around and my daughter wanted to go to school my son didn't want to go to school um, but my daughter's condition of going to school was I had to meet her at the school gate which was so hard for me and so devastating for me that if I knew that that's what was going to get her through her day then I did that and and that was extra devastating and I think probably um, we talked earlier about tips for friends and for family on what to do. Read read the body language, you know, mm. I'd say read the body, body language of the griever and, you know, if they look like they're hiding behind a tree, <laughs> just trying to front for their daughter just to try and be as strong as they can in that situation, you know, l- leave them be. You know, don't don't necessarily approach them. You know, they'll 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 engage when they're ready, I guess. And um, yeah, devastatingly, that happened to me as I was literally hiding behind a tree with a hat and dark glasses, looking at the ground, counting the minutes until my daughter came out of the school gate so that I could walk her home. And you know, and gratefully, lots of people clocked me. They saw me. They knew my situation, and they let me be. But quite a lot of people approached me and burst into tears and were you know and I I wasn't ready for that I was it was still so raw and so new and I think the intention of the person was it came from a really kind beautiful place so it was not ill-meaning at all but I I found that really hard and I think that I was just grateful that people kind of let me be for in the early days because it was so hard and so raw and Mm. I was just doing my best to function and mostly that function came from my children of just me trying to keep their lives as um, normal as possible but yeah without them it would have been really difficult to get out of bed in the days and I guess my job as well uh, as we talked about you know um, surrounding myself with inspiring people change makers people who just want to leave the world in a better place than then they found it is is really um, quite incredible, and I yeah I'm very grateful for that's my everyday getting out of bed friends family yeah mm-hmm. and I think just living as well I think that uh, Joe wouldn't want me to be sad and not doing very much I, he would want me to go and chase life and squeeze the maximum out of every day and travel and have a good life so I think 
um, we were talking earlier, just, you know, live for now. Don't save it up because none of us have a guarantee for tomorrow. Um, I often say I might be dead next year or this is the year. I'm 46 as well. Joe would never have imagined his life would be cut short at 46. So I'm going to live. I'm going to travel and do all the fun things and I'm not going to save all the fun things up until you know when I retire or you know when I can but because my body may not I don't know I laugh that I don't know my snowboarding years are numbered so I need (laughs) to just go and enjoy it and be you know live it so yeah Mm -hmm. there's I think live for live for now as frivolous as that might sound it's just it's not there's no guarantees embrace the wrinkles Mm. getting the wrinkles is a gift it's a privilege it seems like the two of you did live that way very much uh before his passing and you know you know you're right you've got to you've got to live every moment for what it's worth um and you are doing that and tara again we really appreciate your story and, and coming and sharing with us and I know we've all had a lot of takeaways from today and a lot to think about and of course moving into what is the festive season um, we wish you a happy Christmas with your beautiful family we hope that you do live each day um, if anyone who is listening would love to support you and, and Joe's memory um, I believe you have a charity set up in his name or a, a organ donation or a blood donation um, set up for joe it's a it's a blood donation group it's called joe's heart and um with every donation they say that it can help up to three people uh three people needing blood products for cancer for um life-saving treatment joe joe would have taken a lot of blood and plasma and platelets um, throughout his time his Mm -hmm. time in hospital but even friends that are experiencing cancer at the moment you know say that it's a gift of life so yeah anyone who would like to join it it's an open group it's with the Australian Red Cross it's called Joe's Heart Blood Donation Group join us and yeah it's an easy thing to do you can literally do it in your lunch break so and the people who lived in the UK that have previously not been allowed to donate guess what you're allowed now you're back yeah, so apparently mad cow is not a thing anymore. So even if you've been using that as your reason not to donate blood, you're allowed to now. So That is excellent news. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything today, Tara. Really, really grateful. Thank you, Shelley. Today's episode was titled, We Don't Talk About Death and We Really Should. When you think about it, it's interesting how much we avoid this topic. Hello, denial. The term death admin is new to me and certainly got me thinking and, of course, talking to my life partner, my husband, about what we need to get in place just in case. Tara's story is a reminder just how precious life is and that the unexpected can and does often happen. To you, Tara, I know when Joe died four years ago, you felt a tsunami of love. I hope once again you receive a tsunami of love for being so brave to share your story for the benefit of others. Tara's Instagram account is Tara J Castle for those who may want to reach out. And it says, seeking love, joy, beauty and happiness. Well, please keep seeking, Tara. We send you strength as you continue on your grief journey and we know you'll keep finding beauty in every day, just as you said. I'm Shelley Craft and aren't we all so lucky to be on this ageing journey together? Much love to you all and until next time, be kind to yourself and to others. You just never know their story. Talk to you again next week and don't forget to share a review if you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much. Ciao.